I was in middle school. I had a set of keys that my mom said, if you ever lose these, I will kill you. They were the house keys. So one day I was picking up my little brother from elementary school. I was waiting for him for a long time. So I decided to play catch with my keys. I just threw them up and I caught him. You know that silly game that you play sometimes? There's nothing else to do. So you just... This is before cell phones and smart devices. So throwing my keys up was like a really good idea. So that's what I did. I made a mistake though in calculating the trajectory of my keys and as I threw them in the air, they went on the ceiling, the roof of the school that I was waiting at. So I reasonably made the conclusion that I should climb a tree to get to the roof of the school to retrieve my keys because my mom was serious. My mom is terrifying. And when she, when she gave me the look, I, I knew that she meant it. My mom was, you know, my mom was a single mom for a little bit. So she could be really tough when she wanted to be. So I knew if I didn't get my keys, I would be in a world of hurt. I'd be screaming like that kid down there. <laughs> so, so I climbed the tree and got to the roof of my, my little brother's elementary school. But then I, I realized that my keys were actually on the next level up. So I couldn't reach it. And I'm th trying to figure out another way to get to the second layer of the roof. And it was also raining. I forgot to mention that. It's also raining. <laughs> So I look at this next layer of the roof, I'm like, oh, I can make that, I can do that. Uh, but my friends below on the floor were like, Rod, don't do it, it's not worth it, you're gonna die. And so I said, okay, I guess I'm gonna come back down and have to face the wrath of my mom. I knew for a fact I was gonna get the chancla, if not worse. That's all right, I'll get the chancla. So I, I go over the roof, <laughs> Okay, picture this, right? I'm on the second, I'm on the first story of the school and I'm gonna try to lower myself down by holding it like this and then letting myself down like this, okay? I overestimated, overestimated my strength and the rain also played a factor. And so as I let myself down, I lost my grip and I fell to the ground. Well, I fell and I felt like this and I thought, oh, I'm just gonna catch myself. I saw myself in slow motion as I was falling. And I was gonna, oh, catch myself. And as I'm falling down, I did catch myself with my wrist and I fractured my wrist. So now I'm in a pickle. Not only did I lose my keys, but I also fractured my wrist. I thought for a minute about just playing it off like it was all cool and I could just go home and hopefully she wouldn't notice. But everyone else around me noticed because my, my wrist, which normally looks like, you know, there's two bones right here, was like this. And then I started crying. <laughs> you would too. I mean, you're in middle, you would too. This is middle school. Come on, come on. So. Someone went to the elementary school administrative office and they called the principal. Principal comes over and sees me crying and sees that my wrist is like this. And then he calls my mom and I'm like, please don't call my mom. Please don't talk to her. We can settle this ourselves. Do you have any duct tape? We could do this. Calls my mom. My mom, very frustrated with me, but I think my tears calmed her down a bit because she didn't immediately hurt me at that point in time. Instead, she took me to the doctor and the doctor gave me some funny medication that made me feel really good. And then they bandaged up my arm and they reset it. And I had to take it and put it back in the same spot. So they pulled my arm, 
they had it it was it was hanging from the air like they had this thing that was holding my, my hand up and then as it was like letting gravity do its thing they pulled on it and tried to put it back in its socket and it, and it worked and it, was, it was fine that worked thus began my recovery six weeks of wearing a cast any of you guys ever wear a cast before? You guys know what wearing a cast is like? Okay, a couple of you. So you know that when you wear a cast, that thing gets really stinky. Starts stinking in there, right? Because you start sweating and then you like you smell it and it doesn't smell good. So then you start getting things like rulers and pencils to stick it in there to, to try to itch it. And, and then when you bring the ruler or the pencil out, there's these dead skin flakes all caked on it and, and it still stinks. And then eventually I go back to the doctor and the doctor takes off my cast. And I noticed a few things about my arm. Uh, one, it had grown a tremendous amount of hair. I found that it was really hairy. Uh, and I guess that's what happens in the dark in a cast. It just gets really hairy, so it got really hairy. And then, in addition to stinking a lot for several days, my arm was also super small. Like, I'm already a pretty small armed guy, but like, it was really small. Like, it was only bones. And I'm like, what happened to my arm? And I guess what happens when you don't use your muscles is that they atrophy. The process of your body breaking down muscle is called atrophy. You're, you're, if you don't use your muscles, you lose your muscles. Which is, again, to go back to last week, when you're old and you stop working out, you're, you become frail and brittle, and that happens with your own muscles in the, sim, in the same sense. So when you get casted up, you don't use those muscles the same way. Your body begins to shed all that muscular weight. And that's not too unlike the church. Every single one of y'all here is a muscle in the body of Christ. Some of you guys are larger muscles, some of you are smaller muscles. This is not about your physical size, but the role that you play in the church. And God has designed the body in such a way, the Christian body, where every muscle in the group is supposed to contract. It's supposed to uh, exercise itself in order for the good of the entire body to work. Now, here's what I know about you, even if you don't necessarily agree with this. I know that you can easily identify areas where our church and our youth ministry isn't perfect, right? You've seen things about our church, you've seen things about our ministry, you've seen things about your own small group and your leaders and everything where you can say, oh, it's not, it's not perfect, it's not the way it should be. They should do more of this, they should do less of that, and they should have more of this thing and not that thing. Now, it's easy for us to point out deficiencies in the body of Christ, but often we forget to look at ourselves first and say, am I doing all that God wants me to do to support the body? Are you, as a high school student, serving and supporting your ministry, True North, and the church, Compass, in a way where you could say, I, as one of the muscles in the body, am doing all that God wants me to do to be a blessing to the people that I have the privilege of going to church with? And here's what we're going to learn tonight. That was all a big introduction. Essentially, to say this. Look, you're one of the muscles in the body, but I put it this way. You are actually, you are God's gift to the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, God has designed you with certain uh, time, talents, and resources to be a gift to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, in case you're new or don't know Christian terminology, is a reference to the church. The body of Christ is the church, and every Christian who's part of that church uh, makes up a gift from God to us. So to put it in a way that might make sense, Drew over there with the hat, Drew is a gift to you from God. There's no return receipt. You've got to keep him. <laughs> uh, Elvis, who's the new high school director, is God's gift to you. He exists now in our church to serve and to bless and to support you so that you grow up into all that God wants you to be. You are a gift from God that's meant to be utilized. And that's what we're going to look at tonight in Ephesians chapter 4. Please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 14 
And we're going to start at verse 7 through 10. We're going to go through these verses pretty quickly. Uh, but I want you to see how you are God's gift to the body of Christ and how God designed you to, to work in the body so that we can avoid muscle atrophy. We can avoid losing muscle. We want to grow muscles. We want the body to be strong. Here's what that looks like. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, says this. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's an important starting place there. Grace, God's grace for salvation is one thing, but God's grace for the service of the body is another thing. He's saying, look, every single one of us, each one of us, has been given a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. And in verses 8 through 10, um, Paul paints a picture about a, a military general who comes back from a victorious war. He, he would enter the gates of the city, he'd bring his captives with him, and he would give gifts to all of his people to say, look, I, I've uh, conquered the enemy, and I'm coming to give you guys gifts as being part of my kingdom, and so you as my subjects, I'm going to give you money, and I'm going to give you money, and I'm going to give you these things. And He's like Oprah. He's just giving stuff away. That's what Jesus is doing here. So look at verses 8 through 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. When Jesus went back to heaven, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul is essentially saying here, look, Jesus went, uh, Jesus came down to earth, he descended to earth, he conquered the foe, and then he ascended to God the Father. And in doing so, when he ascended back to his rightful place in heaven, he distributed gifts because he had this victory where he crushed sin, death, and the devil, and now he's giving gifts to all of his people. So, particularly verse 7, here's what you need to know. Point number one, you need to believe that you are a gift. You are a gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You are a gift, young person. You are a gift. Sometimes, like, we understand the concept of stewarding a gift. Like, imagine if Spider-Man used all his aerobic ability to, to not help his city, but instead to be like this star gymnast. Gets the gold medal every year at the Olympics, and he's just taking pictures, and he's supporting his own fame. But he's never using his extra super special ability to fight crime. Or imagine Superman using his laser vision to heat up his hot pocket. But that's it. It's like he's got his laser eyes, but all he's doing is heating up his, his hot pocket and enjoying his ham and cheese you know, by himself in his mom's basement. Terrible use of his gifts. Or, or, or imagine Flash using his speed to rob Holmes and Kodo. Because like he's super fast, the cameras can't see him, he's able to get in and out without anybody noticing. That's the same concept here. God has given you a gift to steward, and those gifts of time, talents, and resources are meant to be used for God's honor and God's glory and for the good of everybody else here. Here's a couple points that you need to understand. Some points under believing that you are a gift. You need to first of all recognize that you belong to the body. Okay, You belong to the body. If you're a Christian you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in Christ for salvation, you need to understand that you are now grafted into the body of Christ and you belong to that body. Here's a weird way to think about it. I don't really have a, a choice to preach and to be your pastor. I have a choice, obviously. I can obey God's call in my life or I can disobey it. But I, I have a I have a call that God has given to me to be your pastor and to do the best job I can possibly do. And if I do the best job I can possibly do, I know I'm being obedient to God and you're going to walk away encouraged and growing and all those things. But, but I do that because I recognize I belong to God and in a, in a real sense, I belong to you. 
like it or not, I'm your youth pastor. Sorry. <laughs> but I belong to you. And, and in a real sense, like, you belong to me. You're the sheep that God has given me to steward. Well, and in a larger sense, you belong to one another. We've been talking these last three weeks about uh, being united, and that's because I want you to see that if you are a Christian and you belong to King Jesus, Jesus has now turned around and said, look, all of you guys here, you guys are called to love one another, to care for one another, because you belong to the body. Grace isn't given for no reason. God doesn't give you gifts just so you can spend it on your selfish pleasures. Can you guys still hear me over the helicopter? Mostly? Okay, good. How about now? Still? Still. It's a cool helicopter though, no? God gives gifts not so you can spend them on selfish pleasures, but so that you can use them to be a blessing to the body. When I ruptured my Achilles tendon, actually, to be more specific, when Andrew Goodballet ruptured my Achilles tendon, I had, I felt the effect in the rest of my body. Like, even though my leg, my leg, my leg atrophied, that was part of it. Uh, but on top of that, like, I began to have this limp because I had this cast and I had my, 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 my skateboard wheelie thing that I had. Now, my whole body was affected because my itty-bitty Achilles tendon, this big, this big, uh, caused my entire body to, to be dysfunctional. So here's my point. Whatever role you have, whatever gifting God has given you, Please don't demean that gifting. Well, I'm just uh, fill in the blank. Well, I only can fill in the blank. Well, I'm not that good because this person over here, she's better at that, and he does a better job of this and that and the other. Like God doesn't give you that responsibility to, to, to measure your gift against others. You don't get to say, look, I, I, I wish I had more gifts, and, and if God gave me more gifts, I would serve better. Don't demean your gifting to the body. You have something important to contribute and you have a responsibility to steward it for the good of those around you. You belong to the body. But on top of that, in verses 7 through 8, you see that it's not only the gift that you're given. Jesus says, he says here, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he, Jesus, gave gifts to men. Well, not only do you belong to the body, but Jesus himself chose your gifting. You ever think about that? Jesus himself chose your gifting. Whatever you're good at, if you have a singing voice, Jesus gave you that singing voice. If you have a knack for connecting with people, Jesus gave you that knack for connecting with people. If you're incredibly smart and you're the AP kid or the honors kid or the IB kid, Jesus gave you a mind for intelligence. If, uh, maybe that's, that's not you at all, and you just happen to be a faithful, friendly person, God gave you the gift of faithfulness and friendliness. Those are things that God stewards to you. Now remember, when I talk about gifts, I'm talking about time, talents, and resources. So whatever falls under that category is a type of gift that God wants you to utilize. And here's the thing, God chose exactly how to make you up. Okay, let's, let's be honest for a second, okay? Let's just pretend no one else is around us listening in on our conversation. Has, have any of you ever looked at yourself and said, I wish I were taller, shorter, fatter, skinnier, or stronger, skinnier, or I had this color hair or that color hair, or I had this figure or that figure, or I was this intelligent or that intelligent. Have any of you guys ever compared yourself to others and said, I wish I had more of this or that? Anyone? Just me? A couple of you. Okay, thank you. The problem with that is that when we do this, we're essentially turning to God and say, God, you should have made me differently. If I had my choice, I would have made me differently. Now, I don't want to offend you here, but who's smarter, God or you? 
I know that's, a, that's an unfair comparison. We, we all have our tendency to fall into that trap. But I need you to understand that God chose you for who you are. God designed you for who you are. Your hair, your eye color, your height, your weight, your skill set. Uh, not that all that's static. There are some things that are in your control that you should exercise and change. But understand, Jesus chose your gifting. And here's the thing. Whatever he's given you, he wants you to be faithful with. Think about Luke chapter 19, the parable of the minus, where Jesus uh, pictures himself as this manager who dispenses money to his servants. And then he says, look, I'm going on a trip, and when I come back, I want you guys to let me know what you did with my money. And so he comes back, and he, he finds out from the, the guy who he gave 10 talents to, he says, look, or minas, he says, look, uh, what did you do with my 10 minas? And the guy says, well, I'm glad you asked. I, I, I have a return of 10 more minas. And Jesus says, great job, well done, good and faithful servant. He went to the guy with five, and he said, okay, what did you get? And he says, well, I've earned five more minas. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the one who had one, you know, he buried it, he hid it, he didn't, do, he didn't do the right thing with it. But the point is, for the guy with the ten and the five, he rewarded them with far greater wealth because they were faithful with the little. If you truly have a little gift to give the body, be faithful with your little gift because Jesus chose it. You may not like your gift set. You may not like your looks. You may not like your current level of intelligence or height or weight or whatever. It does not matter. Be faithful with what God has given you right now, whoever you are, wherever you are. And let me tell you, your time, talents, and resources are far more vast than you often think about. Jesus bought you with the price. You're therefore to use it for his glory and honor. You belong to the body. Jesus chose your gifting and here's something that I want all of you to hear, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, okay? So listen close. Um, you are God's gift to the body if you're a Christian, okay? This next part is true for everyone and then also true for Christians. You are valuable by creation and redemption. You are valuable by creation, all people, and redemption for Christian people. You should understand what I mean by that because I've said this a few different ways this last several weeks. Whatever color you are, whatever height, weight, gender you are, you are valuable to God because you bear God's image. This is the best message ever. You are valuable to God not because you're black or white or Asian or Mexican or Ethiopian or what, whatever else. You are valuable to God because you bear God's image. Every single person on the planet is valuable to God because they bear his image. This is what the book of Ephesians is about. God tearing down the wall of hostility and saying, look, I'm bringing together a new people, uh, my Christian people who will follow me, but all people, regardless of anything, whether you're Muslim, Jew, Hindu, or Jehovah's Witness, or Mormon, or anything else, all people in all places are valuable because they bear... All people everywhere are valuable because they bear God's image. Young person, when you talk to people at your school or your job and you start talking about racism, you have a card to play that you should always play. I have an answer to racism. And the answer is that all people are equal before God because all people are valuable because all people bear. You win. Christianity wins. Christianity has an answer. You are valuable because of your creation into God's image. All people, all races, all religions, etc., etc., etc. That's true for all people. But if you're a Christian, you are valuable not only by creation, but by a special redemption. Jesus dying on the cross for your sin. The gospel is 
that we belong to God, we are estranged from God because of our sin, but Jesus steps in to save us from the wrath of God for all of those who will repent and trust Him. When you give yourself to that message and you follow the King who made you, you become not only valuable by creation, which is true for all people, but you're also valuable by redemption, which is true for only those who trust in Christ Jesus for their salvation. And that blood that Jesus paid on the cross for you makes you infinitely valuable to God. That that message should motivate you to utilize whatever you have to serve King Jesus. Verses 11 through 13, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Follow me there, please. Sometimes you might think, okay, I get it. I'm a gift. I'm supposed to use my gifts. Every Wednesday when I come, I'll serve. I get it, Pastor Rod. That's only part of the message. Verses 11 through 13. God gave, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to, verse 12, equip the saints, that's you, Christians. The saints is a word to describe Christians. That's holy ones, set apart ones. To equip, to, to prepare the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is where our series title came from with Ryan's picture on it, bodybuilding. Um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And verse 13 tells us to how long we're supposed to do this until... We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You guys look at me and say, okay, Pastor Ron's in full-time ministry. Elvis is in full-time ministry. Monse is now in full-time ministry. Well, it's not just us. See, God calls me as your pastor, along with these other groups of, of, of Christians here, these other offices, he calls me to help you do the work of ministry. That's my job. My job is to teach you and prepare you so that you can do the work of ministry, not just me. So you might know I'm in full-time ministry, but here's the thing. Point number two, you need to know that you are in full-time ministry too. Your gifting is not meant to only be used on a Wednesday or a Saturday or Sunday. Your gifting is meant to be used always to build up the body of Christ. So point number two, know you are in full-time ministry too. I had a part-time job in, in Bellflower. I was a high school director in Bellflower. It was a part-time gig, except the joke was on me because there's no such thing as a part-time ministry job. I was paid part-time, but I was working full-time in ministry and full-time at work. It was, a hard, it was a hard job. But the idea here is that all ministry is gonna require you to give your best effort, to use all that you are to serve all that he is, to bless all these people here and beyond. My job is to help you do your job. My job is to help you grow in your maturity in order to serve the body of Christ. My job is to help you uh, to, to build up the body, to be fully mature. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a few questions tonight, guys, that I really want you to spend some time on. One of the questions that I'm going to have you guys work on is by identifying, okay, how is it true that a parking attendant contributes to the maturity of the body of Christ? Right? That's someone's time, talent, or resources. How does a parking attendant contribute to the maturity of the body of Christ? Do you have an answer for that? I think the Bible would give us a precedent to say, look, that stuff matters. My job is to prepare you to do things like that. Uh, my job is to prepare you as young men to care about the young ladies and to go out of your way to serve them, to carry their stuff, to open their doors, to, to do things that are gentlemanly, not because you're trying to get, get brownie points or get to romance them, uh, but rather because you're called to love them and serve them. Guys, I remember I said, I said this one time in a sermon, and this one gal came up to me after I said this, and she was scandalized at this one sentence. You ready? We'll see if I get someone else upset with me today. I said this, 
and this got me some major pushback from, from one of you guys, not someone here right now, but one of y'all. I said, guys on average are stronger than girls on average. Would anyone disagree with that? If you, if you do, you'll, you'll let me know after this, after this, I'm sure, just like the last person did. Guys are stronger. God designed us that way. God made us to be stronger. And here's the thing. God designed us that way so that we could utilize our muscles and our strength to serve those who are not as strong. That's not controversial, right? I think that's pretty easy. My job is to help you do your job, and that means I teach you, I train you, I equip you. I'm here to support you to do your job in the church, which means this at minimum. Every time I open my mouth for your good, I want you here, and you should want to be here. Every time I prepare a lesson, which takes me hours of original work, I don't plagiarize my material, which I know is popular right now. There's lots of people doing that. I, I spend hours praying for and preparing these messages for you. Now, sometimes I think I do a better job than others, but I, I want you here. My job is to prepare you, to equip you, and because your job is to be equipped to do the work of ministry, you should be here every time we talk, every time I preach, every time I open up my Bible to talk to you guys with it and say, here's what you need to do. You should say, I need to be there. I want to be there. I want to hear what Pastor Rod has to say for me, and I, I also want to be there so that my leaders can help me understand it and apply it. My job is to help you do your job. Your job, your job is to serve your siblings. Verses 12 and 13, Paul says that we're to grow up together until, until, verse 13 says until, until gives you a time frame. Until means you keep doing something until this other thing happens. And the until in verse 13 of Ephesians 4 is until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That is until all, every single person here is fully united in Christ. And you know that that's not happening yet. So our job is to keep working towards sanctification, holiness together, until we all look like Jesus Christ. If mom and dad say to you today, I'm going to have you watch your siblings until we get home. And one of your younger siblings sets fire to the house on your watch. The whole house gets burned down. Mom and dad come home and they see a pile of ashes of what used to be your house. I said, didn't I tell you to watch your brothers and sisters while, while we were gone until we got back? And you said, oh, I forgot. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> Am I my sister's keeper? <laughs> your parents would rightly say, yes, you are. And we charge you to do this until we came back. Your failure to not care for them and to not care for the home in, in, in that matter is something that you're going to be accountable for. And I don't know if they're going to make you pay, pay back for the house or anything, but that's the whole idea here. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. And Jesus has given you the responsibility, like your parents, to say, look, you're in charge of each other until I come back. You're in charge of each other until I make you all perfect and complete in Christ. Jesus has given you all a job to care for each other, to love each other, to serve each other, to use your time and talents and resources to be a blessing to one another. And if you're not doing that, you're doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus said to do. To be your brother's and sister's keeper until he gets back, until he makes you fully complete. There's a lot of people around here, right? And so I, I, can, I can easily understand how for some of you that might be overwhelming. How is it possible to truly love everybody around here? And I can say this, I don't think God wants you to take 100% responsibility of 100% of the people. But if you're in a small group or you have people that you're close to, physically close to and relationally close to, the closer they are to you, the more responsibility you have. 
So if you're in a family, which I think all of us are, you have a responsibility to love, care for your family members immediately. Mom, dad, sister, brother. If you have an aunt living with you in your basement or whatever, they, they all camp. They're your closest immediate relationships. As the circle increases and it gets to places like this where you have small group friends and sisters and brothers, there's a real responsibility for that too. If they're sick, I would expect that you're writing cards or you're calling them. If your friend breaks an, breaks an ankle, uh, not an ankle, uh, if, they, if they go to the hospital, they get checked in, when, whenever COVID lets us visit them again, I'd expect you to be there. When I go to visit you in the hospital, I would, I would be stoked to see that your small group is there. When I go to visit you in the hospital, probably not a good thing. You don't want to see me in a hospital because uh, that means you're not doing well. But I would be, I'd be glad to be there. And then hopefully I would see not only you there, but I would see all of your small group there or they're sending flowers and gifts because they care about you. You have a responsibility to serve and love the people that God has providentially placed in your life. Family, definitely, but also your small group. Okay. Muscle, as I said, is protective. All of us have, have an obligation to contract, to be working so that our muscles are being utilized. Here's why. Ephesians 4, verse 14. Paul says that we're to grow up in Christ so that we may no longer be children. Being a child in the faith is a bad thing, guys. Y'all are young, but being a child perpetually in the faith is not a good thing. It signifies immaturity and irresponsibility. So he says, look, when we're all working together, it helps us to no longer be children, to be tossed back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So if you're in your mind's eye, you can picture a ship. Paul is envisioning a ship here, a ship that's being tossed and turned and back and forth and the wind and waves are pushing it this way and that way. So he talks about you as a child, you know, an irresponsible child that gets himself in trouble. And he talks about you as a ship that's being tossed back and forth. He says, we don't want to be carried about by human, uh, by everyone to doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, there's outside forces that are seeking to, to dis, de, de, seeking to disunite the church and seeking to harm and deceive you. But when every person is working together, every person is utilizing their gifts, he says the, the result of that is that we avoid situations like this. Your gifting essentially is protective for the church. Point number three, realize your gifting is protective. Realize your gifting is protective. One of the mistakes I made when I was a skater is that I would never wear pads. Pads were stupid. Didn't make me look cool, so I didn't wear them. And then one day, I realized why pads were a good idea. Skating with some friends, and my stepdad rolled up in his truck, and he's like, oh, blah, 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 your mom said this, this, and that. I said, oh, cool, thank you. And he's all right, I'm going to roll out. And I said, okay, can I, can I hold the back of the truck while you drive off? He said, yeah, no problem with that. And so I held onto the back of the truck and he accelerated as I held on. Probably about three seconds. It was really fun for three seconds. But as I hit 25 or I don't even know what number it was, the, my skateboard got this thing called speed wobble. It happens when you get a lot of speed. And so my, skate, my skateboard started wobbling violently and then eventually it just decided to go somewhere else i don't know how long it was but i know that i was hanging on to it long enough to to be uh dragged a little bit <laughs> and i let go eventually when my brain is like what are you doing idiot let go <laughs> and i let go and then i rolled to a stop when i got up i had road rash all over 
I was looking at different. In fact, you, if, if one of the one of the scars that I got, you could see on my wrist right here. Can you tell? Like it's 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 really light now. It's years ago, but it's really it was one of the it was one of the worst. Uh, I looked at the injuries I had, and there was pus and blood coming out of them. I had like rocks of gravel in my shoulder and on my arm, and it was so bad when I came home. <laughs> my mom. My mom looks at me like, "What did you do?" Why do you look like that? She thought it was a joke. She thought it was like a special effects thing. She's like, there's no way that's real. She's like, did you, did you guys do a movie or something? And I'm like, no, I'm in pain. I want to die. <laughs> and she, she's like flabbergasted at first. She's like, this is, you really, what were you doing? And then she's like, your, your stepdad drove the, the truck with you behind him? What kind of idiot is he? You know, what kind of idiot are you for holding on to that? It was a painful experience. That's why you wear pads. And then from that day forward, I still didn't wear pads, but at least I knew that having pads would have been a helpful thing. It would have been protective. I, I could have avoided pain. I didn't. When every Christian works together, there is protection for the body. Um, it, it protects us from at least three things. Um, but let me put it this way. For you not to use your gifting... For you not to use your gifting, it leaves the body immature. That's what Paul means when he says that in, in verse 14a that we're children. To not use your gifts leaves us in perpetual adolescence. It, it is something that leaves us uh, still tr striving to grow up. Look, you can influence kids to think almost anything, right? You can, you can tell your little brother or sister to believe that there's a boogeyman on the moon and they'll believe you because they're kids. They're immature. And Paul says, look, you don't want to be a kid. As a Christian, you want to grow up into your faith. You want to be mature and responsible. So whenever you abandon your post, you're leaving your church in a weak and immature place. And be faithful to God. To not use your gift doesn't only leave us immature. To not leave your gift, to not, excuse me, to not use your gift leaves us unstable. That tossing and being carried around by every wind of doctrine means that Christians can easily get jolted from their faith because they believe the wrong thing. Every wind of doctrine uh, treats the church as like a, like a rag doll. You're tempted to believe whatever the world believes. If Oprah is teaching something or someone on TikTok is saying, oh, here's why Christianity is not true or here's why you shouldn't be a Christian or whatever, whatever it is. Now, you're tempted to believe that because the church is not operating at our full capacity with every person using their gifts. Third, to not use your gift not only leaves us immature, not only leaves us unstable, but also leaves us vulnerable. The last part of verse 14 says that, uh, that there is human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes, that there are people out there literally trying to deceive you and to deceive the church. So exercising your gifts allows us to fellowship around the truth. It allows us to discuss it and sharpen our senses around what is true and, and to protect against what is false. One of the reasons you should read your Bible every day, read the whole thing every year, is because even though the Bible doesn't change, you do. And as you change, and as you read your Bible, God's going to begin to show you newer, deeper, better things. But that only happens as you repeatedly expose yourself to the truth. If you're constantly imbibing the, the world's lies through the music, the movies, you know, you're watching everything on Disney Plus or Netflix, like that stuff piles up. That, that is an acclamation, or rather, an accrual of false thinking. You need God to teach you the truth, and that requires every single one of us operating with our fullest gifting and capacity. Serving together allows us to sharpen our sensibility about the truth. And I, I, I wish I had time, I already went longer than I expected here, to draw the, the actual connections for you and how this works. But this is where you're going to spend some time in small groups tonight. 
hopefully in your mind, you could say, okay, how does my gifting serve and support the larger mission of the church for us to be mature and Christ-like? And I want you to think about this, and I want you to assume, okay? I want you to think exactly, how do my giftings contribute to the maturity of the body and the unity of the body? This will be a good conversation for you guys. Okay, that, that's all I have. Thank you for indulging me. You are a gift to the body of Christ from God himself. I want you to use that gifting. That's the goal tonight. Uh